0: Hey, this is Tim from Kalamunda Church of Christ. And today I hope that this podcast blesses you. If you are wanting to know anything more about our beautiful church, why don't you hop online and head to our website at All name the name of Jesus, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And Father, we choose to do that today. We do that now, we choose to say you are Lord. You are the King of Kings. And Lord, as we come into this place this morning, I thank you that you've got something special for every person in this room, young or older or uh, walking close with you or don't even know you today, Lord, that you've got something special for every single person. I just want to speak over this place as we has been spoken, a breakthrough in your life this morning in Jesus' name. And if you believe it, you said? Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. My name's Brad, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to be with you this morning, continuing our Nehemiah series. Thank you, Brian, for your message last week. I listened to the podcast and was very blessed, very blessed. And I was down in East Lake preaching at the time, and it was fantastic too uh, to be there. And God did some wonderful things down there uh, with a few salvations, and it was just really a wonderful weekend. So thanks for praying for me when things like that happen. That's you. We are a family, and when uh, myself or when Luke preaches away or someone else goes out or we do ministry, it's, it's us that we go. It's not me off there on my own doing my own little thing. I go with your, your blessing and with your uh, prayers, and when God moves, it's like it's a, we all celebrate, yeah? So I think that's fantastic. Just a couple of things, though, before I get into Nehemiah this morning. Um... We didn't quite pull the video off this week, but next week we'll have a video probably about church, well we will, about church camp. But we just want to put it on your radar, you think church camp, that's not till like next March. And it comes around so quick, doesn't it? So it's coming around and church camp and yell out, Abby or Dave, if I've got these dates wrong, is from the 14th of March to the 17th of March. Whew, I was looking on my phone before. So, this is that we're actually changing it up this year. We're booking for three nights. That's right, a Thursday night. Now, we know not everyone might not be able to make that, but from a Thursday night through to the Sunday, three nights. Why three nights? Because last year everyone left wanting more. Church camp was so good last year, over 100 of us there and the, it was just a fantastic vibe and um, thank you Dave Francis has come on and it's coordinating this year um, uh, and actually started that process on the last day of camp last year to start look, talking about can we book again, can we get more, so places will be limited. I'm really just this morning, I, don't, I just want to put it on your radar to just say hey, if you're thinking about it, there's going to be lots of details coming out, we are wanting to get onto it early because... We're expecting big things for church camp. Is that cool? Excellent. Um, also, I'm going on leave after today. So I've got two weeks off. So if you have any uh, need to contact uh, the church, please contact the office. Um, and there's Pastor Joe and Pastor Tim and there's Beck in, in the office as well. So there will be people around um, and the elders are available if you need to reach out. But I will be on leave for two weeks. So uh, I'll just sleep in over there while you're having church, okay? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. Uh, and tonight, I just want to also say, yeah, the worship night tonight. Looking forward to that. Our worship team has been working so hard and preparing. Um, and, you know, we we've got... Special things here at Kalamunda. Certain things I think that God's really got His hand upon, and I believe our worship ministry uh, is really powerful, and I believe it's growing and going, and and, um, it's just wonderful. And so tonight there's going to be like a a wonderful time of worship, and in the middle of it, I'm just going to get up and uh, lead us in a little bit of a prayer and open up some time for if you want to receive prayer uh, from people during the second set, and we'll have communion available. And but just really a time just to come, and this would be my encouragement and what's on my heart is to just. Uh, posture our hearts for the rest of the year, for term four. It's like three-quarter time at the moment, you know? The three-quarter time, and you know, the enemy always works hard in the third quarter, the enemy always works hard in the third quarter to try and get the grand final quarter, but you know, it's the last quarter that really counts. It's the last quarter where the, whoever's winning is on the board, and i believe that even though the enemy tries to push into areas this last quarter for the life of our church is significant, and uh, God's wanting to do things. So that's the, sort of the, the theme of tonight, for my heart anyway, to set my heart and posture my heart for this last part of the year. Fantastic. Also, John, just let me know. There's a lot of lost property out in the back there. Just letting you know, in the near the disabled toilets there, there's like a lot, like a lot. Like I'm, i got a new wardrobe. No, not really. Like, but just go and check your. If you have lost some things, there's lots of items out there. We'll put it in the church bulletin this week. But hey, let's get into the Word of God this morning. We are into Nehemiah, and um, we're in it. If you're Uh, I am actually don't have a lot of points this morning, but I've got a lot of Bible. We are, if you're visiting with us, we're a Bible-believing church here. We believe in the Word, not the Word of Brad, but the Word of God. And so we're going to be going into Nehemiah chapter 3 and 4, and we're going to gloss over chapter 3 in in like a high view, quick plane right across, and then we're going to dive into chapter 4 if you've got your scrolls or your tablets or or whatever you're uh, looking, it'll be on the screen as well. So... Quick recap, Nehemiah, this cupbearer to the king, has a burden on his heart for his people in Jerusalem that is broken down. And we're calling this series Walls and Hearts because God... Was not only doing a physical work with walls to rebuild protection for Jerusalem, but in hearts as well to bring revival, to go from rubble to revival. And it doesn't matter what your life looks like this morning. God has a plan to breathe revival into your life, to breathe His life into areas that need reviving and that are dead. And Nehemiah carries this burden, and so he's he's so burdened by it. He prays, he seeks God. And as Brian took us through last week, he plans and he and, and he's uh, in that time of four months of praying and just waiting on God, but. Now now, in chapter 3, we see that they're actually starting to build. So we can go to the first slide. Thank you, Chase. We've got the the, the starting to build. Oh, is there no, I must have missed the slide. I'm, I did miss the slide. We, If you have in chapter 3, um, I'll, I'm not going to read much of chapter 3, but just one thing from chapter 3, as they start to build, when you read through that chapter, you'll see over and over and over the words next to him. So, um, I honestly thought I had that, but I didn't. I didn't put that in my notes. But if you go to Nehemiah chapter 3... And you see where it goes from about verse 2 onwards, and it just keeps going through all the different families, and next to him, and next to him, and next to him. So what I want to set up for chapter 4, because that's really what I was meant to focus on this morning, chapter 4, I want to set up is that building has begun. It's healthy, and they're next to one another, and there's unity, and there's powerful unity. Nehemiah has a way of bringing people together around the cause of God's kingdom. He has a way of uniting a whole lot of diverse people to come together for the cause of building and that's a picture of us today at Calamunda. very prophetically we're in a season of people coming together coming next to one another to build God's kingdom from very diverse backgrounds and very diverse uh, upbringings and diverse maybe theological ideas but we're coming together to keep the main thing the main thing and in Nehemiah 3 they're next to one another next to one another someone does the see the sheep gate I like that gate the sheep gate I don't know. And then there's the dung gate. I would have been I wouldn't like to go to the dung gate and that like, why do you put me here Nehemiah? But anyway, he sets them all up. And what I want to say to you in chapter 3, Nehemiah as a leader would have been, "Woohoo! This is awesome. People are coming together and building and they're next to one another and they're uniting together." I believe he would have if he if he knew Psalm 133, he would have said how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. For there, the Bible says, that God says, for there I command a blessing. When we are in unity and he's got the team in unity and uh, they're of one accord, they're of one mind and they're building together and that's a beautiful picture. Often when I do weddings, uh, which I'm doing one next week actually, part of taking the leave is I I talk about two becoming one or in a church setting, many of us becoming one One, and I often use this example which sometimes can go south because I talk about the couple and I say, you know when two draft horses come together and are pulling together, you would think they could pull twice as much weight, these draft horses. Not every bride likes to be called a draft horse on her wedding day. I've just discovered that. But anyway... You would think they could pull twice as much yoked together in unity. Did you know that they can actually pull three times as much, the load, when they're yoked together? Because there's something about that unity together where they don't just get double. They get this supernatural power to go forward. But what really blessed me in my research is that when you get two draft horses, catch this, that are raised up together that have done life together, that have gone through some ugly seasons together, some highs, some lows, have have, have often not liked each other and then reconciled. When when they've gone through seasons like that and they've grown up together, they cannot just pull three times as much. They can pull 32,000 pounds, four times as much because of the connection and the unity. And when I think of Kalamunda Church, I get goosebumps for the next generation and the generations here that are growing up together, that are doing ministry together, that are not going to need to find another church that caters for them. But this is their church and they grow and they get such a power together and all that life together, they can do four times as much and they'll stand on our shoulders and we'll love to hand the baton over to a generation that is so powerful because they know what the value of unity the value of being together and building together. But um, we go into chapter 4 verse 1 now with that slide. Thanks Chase. And it says, I think you were there, unity will always be attacked. Verse 1 of chapter 4. But when Sanballat, remember we were introduced to Sanballat a little while ago. He, uh, he was the governor of Samaria I believe and he uh, didn't like this building project. He didn't like what it would do for him. He didn't like the fact that Nehemiah had this vision to build. Uh, but when, So when he heard that we were building the wall, Nehemiah says, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates, because people are always much tougher around the people that they're you know, trying to impress, in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah, he's uh, not so tough, he always seems to be on the side of Sanballat, is Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, "'What are they building?' Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. Even a fox would break that down. Now we have straight away, the building is happening. The people are there, but straight away there is a voice of opposition because unity and building God's kingdom always comes with attacks. This chapter is really a spiritual warfare chapter in chapter 4 of the opposition that comes to try and stop God's work. And it will always happen. When, when Christians decide to arise and build, the enemy decides to rise up and block. And we're praying for blockages to be gone. Because the, 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 there is something so powerful. Now, opposition, catch this, is not a sign that you're necessarily doing the wrong thing. Sometimes opposition is the exact sign that you're in the right place doing the right thing. I love this quote. It says this, If you have never had a head-on collision with the devil, it's probably because you're going in the same direction. (laughs) I like that one. Say it again, he says, if you've never had a head-on collision with the devil, it's probably because you're going in the same direction. I remember my first sermon I ever preached, I was about 17, 18 at the time. And I felt a call to preach. I felt that something about my life, that maybe God had that on my life. But, um, and by the way, a call to preach is, um, I'll get that in a minute. Anyway, I had my first sermon and I was really thinking, I was boosted up, you know, I was excited. I just felt like God was smiling on me. And I couldn't even get out the church door. Literally, I'm walking out. And one of the longest standing members who built the church is standing there waiting for me. And he just grabs me and pulls me aside and just speaks words of death over my preaching. I haven't even got out the door yet, and the spirit of Sam Ballot is in the room on this guy ready to try and give opposition, not going. In. And then, then I was told also that you know, God's call would never to be as a senior pastor. Not long after that. And it's just interesting how the enemy would come to attack your exact calling, but he starts just with voices. He starts just with trying to get you to doubt. He starts with just trying to get these ridicules. Oh, don't be, don't, you never do that. And that's what's happening here. The, the spirit of Sam Ballot is often around in churches. Uh, see, we don't fight flesh and blood. Ephesians 6, of course, people are not your enemy. But sometimes people are influenced by demonic things. Discord is something that God hates, discord is whispering in the dark. Discord, he says seven things that he hates, and he hates discord. And who knows, he can't have discord unless it moves through a person. And so people are not our enemy, but sometimes that spirit of Sam Ballot floats around, and, and, and he's trying to get the work to stop. When we embrace God's call in our lives, we come into contact with the devil, with spiritual opposition. The question is not will you face opposition, the question is how will you respond? How will you respond to opposition? How will you respond to the pain the devil will try and put on you? I heard this week as I was researching about a person's capacity to endure pain and a person's capacity to go, keep going under pressure is exactly correlated to their leadership capacity. How much pain you can endure is often how much influence God can give you. Sounds encouraging to be a leader, doesn't it? Give me pain. But I find it is actually so true. It's through them times of God developing capacity in our life. And Nehemiah shows us as a man who really knew what it was to seek God, stay with God, because we're going to see his response in a minute. But he knew what it was to not take the enemy's bait. We see at this stage, they're throwing these words at him. But it's interesting that they had already protection from the king remember he gave him the letters they've got protection they've got everything they need they are right to go and build they actually can go and build Sam Bellat and that really are just like words at the moment of ridicule you can't stop them but if you can get in their heads maybe we can stop them and so he's wanting to get Nehemiah and that offended what's he using ridicule making fun of them Uh, get them offended and who knows the moment you take offense it's like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies and so he's trying to get Nehemiah off track. And often we'll hear things and if we take, we take offense is taken. It's taken. You need to take, You don't have to take offense. I love Joyce Meyer's book, Power Thoughts. And one powerful thought power thought in one chapter is this. I am difficult to offend. And you just, uh, it's a real powerful thought. Imagine, imagine if we had a church where everyone is difficult to offend. Like You had to really work hard to offend me. But so many people are so easily offended, eh? I'm preaching to myself. Sometimes just so we can get easily offended but Nehemiah's like notice this time when he hears this these ridicules in in chapter 2 or 1 he talked back to them he told them that they will we're going to go and build and God will give us success and Sam Ballot you will have no share in this this time he does not talk back to them and he really doesn't anymore because once you've had the first conversation with the enemy don't 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 keep talking back it's like don't keep taking the bait um He says this, verse 4, Hear us, O God. This is Nehemiah's response to opposition. For we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. For they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. (laughs) Nehemiah, again, as we saw in the last couple of uh, chapters, always a man of prayer. He's like one of them guys that just can pray on the run. You know, he's like, first thing. Uh, he says, I'm not going to talk back to the enemy. I'm going to talk to God. And there's a great lesson for us in that, isn't there? Don't go talking back to the t- conflicts. Talk to God first. Prayer is not our last resort. It's our first response straight away to God. And, and I love how he prays on the run. Yesterday, I was finishing a sheep shearing job over, over in Gigi And I did something... Stupid. And what I did was I was driving out of the paddock in the old Ute and old trusty Ute and I was like, I saw where the road went, where you follow the road around, but I saw you could go straight through and take a shortcut. (laughs) I thought, and and it looked like someone else had done it, so I'm just boring along, just straight through, boring along, and next minute I just see this massive, like massive hump. Like, I'm like, and I had no time to slam on the brakes. Well, I did my best, but the brakes hardly even worked. And I'm just slamming on. And it was funny as I was thinking about Nehemiah, because the first thing I was just like, God help me! And literally the whole car went up and down and it's lived to tell the story and I'm still going fine, the wheels were good. But anyway, what I say that to say, I'm always praying prayers like that. I don't know about you, but when the, and you just can pray while you're thinking, you can pray while you're talking, you can pray in a meeting, you can be in a business call and you can still be just praying to God. Nehemiah was that kind of guy where he just kept the communication open. This is why I love following Jesus. It's not religious. It's a relationship with him and so we see that nehemiah prays prayer will shift perspective verse 6 so we rebuilt the wall till it all reached half its height love this next one for the people worked with all their heart isn't that beautiful it reached half its height some say that halfway is a dangerous place to be that when you're halfway it's like the opportunity well still a long way to go and but we've still done something but we're tired And so sometimes we can be in the halfway moment and get discouraged because it says in verse 7, But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Cellulites and the people of Ashdod, some picked that up, some didn't. Notice that it's not now, the people that are attacking is the Sanballat tribe. It. Now it's growing. It's not just two voices anymore. The Ammonites and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed. They became very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. Now watch this, the, the, the opposition has shifted. Notice the opposition never ends. <laughs> it just keeps changing tacks. So now we've got what was a couple of people turned into now a mob. Now <laughs> that now it's actually getting a bit more serious and they're not just talking words, they're plotting to come and stir up tru- trouble. Ridicule has turned into schemes. It's now gone on social media and it's gaining momentum, the opposition. That's sort of what's like happening here. It's building up. This is how the enemy works. He can bring people that absolutely hate each other, but if he can get them to, to to unite around a cause where they both agree on, they'll be best friends. And that's how the enemy works in a negative way. And the devil is a schemer, and the Bible says he's like a roaring lion roaming around seeking whom he may devour. He doesn't take public holidays, he doesn't have Christmas and Easter off, he's working 24-7 and whilst we don't glorify him and I don't spend much time talking about the devil and the enemy, it is good to be aware that you and I are in a spiritual fight. The war has been won and we are in victory but we still need to stand as Ephesians 6 says, therefore having done all to stand, stand therefore and stand in the power of God in his mighty power and so This is now getting a bit more serious. Verse 9, what does Nehemiah do? Again, exactly. You see it all the way through. But we prayed to our God. We didn't post something back on social media. We didn't go and talk about the people. We didn't go and say how horrible they are. No, we prayed to our God and posted, not on social media, but a guard. Posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Now, I want to stop there for two seconds and say, Nehemiah, in his prayer, knew when to pray wait in prayer in that first four months and he knew when to act in prayer and prayer often requires us to action so he posts a guard he prays but he's like you know what these threats now are real and we need to do something and so when 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 threats come against the church there is times to act there is times to do things there is times to wait in prayer and time to act in prayer so he posts a guard and sometimes We can be praying about something and God's waiting for us to move on it. Sometimes he's like, yeah, you keep praying about this thing, but do something. Don't just pray there. Do something. And so like he's moving him to action. And then we see what happens once he starts to, again, notice he's not going out on the attack. He's just wanting to defend what God is doing. And it's three voices then come to you. Verse ten. Watch this. Uh, meanwhile, and these voices will come to you. By the way, if you want, if you ever say yes to Jesus, this is the voices that come. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, "The strength of the laborers is giving out. There is so much rubble, we cannot rebuild the wall." What is that voice there? There's the voice of discouragement. The voice, if I can discourage them. And how do you discourage them? Get them to look at the past and the present. Look at all the rubble. There's so much still here. Like, we're not going to get this job done. I know we're halfway, but I'm just looking, and there's a mess everywhere. And that just discourages them, because that type of view leads to overwhelmment. Suddenly you're overwhelmed by it, and you're discouraged. This is too much for me. I don't think we can do this. So that's what one voice was trying to say. The next one, also our enemy said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them, and we will kill them and put an end to the work. Imagine, just for a minute, you were there, you were building with Nehemiah, and you hear this that this is now death threats. This is not a game, this is not just they're unhappy, they are planning to come and to kill. This is where you feel threatened, and I think this is the voice that I call in my life, and I've experienced it a lot the voice of the what ifs. What if? And that man, that is such a debilitating voice when that runs our mind and our thinking when you go, oh, but what if? And what if? And we assume these things and and, and they were out for blood now. What if they do come? What 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 if my family, my wife and my children get killed while I'm out on the wall? This is a serious thing. And I want to say that in a sense of bringing it back today for us is that we are in a serious fight. The devil comes to steal, kill and destroy. And he is... He is really serious about that. Jesus came to give life and life to the full, of course. But the enemy is not messing around. And he's, what he's doing in your life to try and discourage you, distract you, and get you off track is for your complete demise. Do you notice evil never goes like, evil never goes, oh, that's enough for now. I think I'll back off. I'll have it the next tomorrow off. <laughs> evil never stops. The evil keeps going and going and going because it is never satisfied like the enemy is never satisfied until it has totally destroyed something. And that is the actual plan that he has for our lives, he has for our families, he has for our church. He wants to destroy every good work. He wants to destroy. We've made a big statement, haven't we? We're going into faith promise season and we'll keep highlighting that and we're going into end of this year and new year, uh, new people coming along. Uh, We're going into a season where we're back into term four with youth, and we've got a fantastic youth leader team, and we've got just things, having people serving in different areas. and, and, And to me, it's all new territory to me. I'm really seeking God and saying, Lord, help us to build effectively. Help us to take your steps forward. Lead us and guide us. But I know that the enemy is not happy. And so there is a very real attack of threats to destroy and to kill the work verse 12 then the jews who lived near there, them so these jews that lived near them came and told us 10 times over do you, do you hate them people that repeat themselves all the time 10 times over they said this wherever you turn they will attack us and what is the voice of fear is there again, the voice of fear coming in. And, and the enemy's wanting to put fear on Nehemiah and on his team. And I love how Nehemiah is okay with fear coming on him, but he doesn't let it get in him. That's where it really gets crippling when it gets in you. There's nothing wrong with a ship sailing on a whole ocean of water. That's fine to be, have it around you, but once, once the water gets in the ship, it's not good. It's going to sink. And we do not have a spirit of fear, the Bible says, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. So we need to resist, like Nehemiah is resisting this fear. Should we stop building? Should we pack up? Should we go somewhere else? But he says, no. Verse 13, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. Who knows there is a time to act in warfare and Nehemiah acts and I love how he prepares them for battle. He prepares them to both build and to battle but notice what he does. He puts them by families and I reckon he's such a clever leader because he puts them where they're going to have to defend right with their family because who knows blood is thicker than water so when that enemy's coming you got they've got their family behind them who knows they're going to give everything they've got for that moment they're going to put them by their families and I want to tell you our church is a family church we are united by the same blood the same blood that washes my sins away washes your sins away we are brothers and sisters we are called into a fight for one another not with one another that was a good line right there I like that one it's so true. We are called to fight for each other, fight with each other. We're not fighting people but the spiritual forces of evil and wickedness and the, and, and, uh, that, that are coming against us. And I love how he places them there to build into battle. Verse 14, after I looked things over, I stood up and said, and I love that, he prays that there's a time to speak. And this is what he says to the nobles, the officials, the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, for your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. There's a powerful word there to men that he speaks to men and it might be a little bit politically incorrect in some areas and I'm not saying it in that sense but for men, for us men to stand up and be the men to have a church where women and children feel safe is so important. Isn't that true? Where masculinity is something we're not ashamed of. It's not to domineer. It's not to be over. It's to come alongside and protect and support and empower other people. That's a good one, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) I feel that. He's saying, for your men, this is what it's about. Fighting for your families. Remember the Lord. Three things. He said, don't be afraid because that'll paralyze you. Number two, remember the Lord. And when he says, remember the Lord, I feel like he's saying, don't forget God made a promise to us that yes, there would be captivity. Yes, we did sin. Yes, we did go against the Lord. Yes, we did did the wrong thing. But we're repenting and we're coming back and he's giving us our land back. And he said he would be with us and he said we could do this. Remember the promises of God. And that's how you got to fight for your families. You got to fight for our families with the promises of God, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's how we fight today, not against flesh and blood, but against that spirit that's coming against our family, against that spirit that would come to steal, kill, and destroy. You stand up with the Word of God and you say, I know His promises. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Come on, this is as, and you just get that sword out. Be ready to both build and battle. Fight for your families. He again goes on to say, when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to their own work. So there was a pause halfway. And sometimes you've got to ask yourself the question at halfway. Am I going to stick in this? Am I going to follow through? Am I going to keep plowing on? And in that breath and that moment and seeking God and then God coming in, he's like, yeah, we're going to return to work from that day on. Half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows and arrows. Catch that, half and half, half building, half battling. I want to encourage you to find your place in the kingdom of God. Find your burden, the burden that you feel called to. You might be a builder. I mean, we're all called to both of these things, but you might have a specific gifting where you are called to build. But you know, you need also people that are called to battle. When I first went into ministry, I had a great friend, and his whole call, he felt his whole calling at that season of my life was just to be my prayer warrior. He was with me at events and in speaking things, and he'd just be always there and just pray, pray, pray. He was battling while I was building, I was preaching the word of God, and he was battling against them forces that would come against it. We need everyone in the church to find their place, to build and to battle. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah, verse 17, who were building the wall. Those who carried the materials did their work with one hand and held their weapon in the other hand. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. So they're all building, they're ready, um, they're ready for attack, they're alert. They're, as the New Testament says, they're, they're sober-minded, watch, watchful, prayer, prayerful and watchful. But then this guy that got the good job of having the trumpet, he was like, he got to stay with Nehemiah. And uh, so we, Charles Spurgeon did this thing with a, uh, called the trowel and the sword, the building and battle. See, the trumpet that he had would be sounded, and that trumpet would call everyone, all the men to come, if, a, in a, if an attack happened at a certain spot. Because they were all around the place. And if the enemy was trying to look for a vulnerable spot, now catch this, the enemy's trying to look for a vulnerable spot. And when Nehemiah saw that that's the spot, hey, uh, this is where the enemy's coming in. Blow the trumpet now. He would blow the trumpet and everybody, everybody would rally to that point to fight and to keep the enemy out. Such a picture of the body of Christ such a picture when one part of the body hurts, every part of the body hurts. When one part of the body rejoices, we all rejoice. When the enemy comes to attack at the side or say that the knee, the rest of the cells, the blood cells all go there to bring healing. They race, they rally to that spot. The trumpet is called and so it is in the church that sometimes when the enemy's coming into a certain area, we need to rally to that area. We need to pray into that area. We need to guard that area as the enemy wants to kill, steal and destroy. And he's roaring around, just looking. Which area? Where are they vulnerable? Where's your life vulnerable? Where can I get in? Can I get in with their relationships? Can I get in with their finances? Can I get in with addictions? Can I get in, get a stronghold in their life? What can? I, where can I find that way? And we rally. They would rally to that spot to face the attacks. Verse 19 Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, The work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. God, we, our God, will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. I'm going to close off shortly uh, with a prayer for us as a corporately as a church, but I want you to. I want to ask you a couple of challenging questions as we finish. Now, it says our God will fight for us. Did they still have to fight and be prepared physically? In the day? Of course they did. Do we still have to stand and still have to act? Yes, we do. But it is God who brings the victory. I love saying it this way. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. The cross and the resurrection that Jesus has given us the victory. The Bible says that all, the, all the power... He gave us all authority in heaven and earth over the enemy, that we have all that power over him. The only power he gets is the power we give him, and we give it by coming into agreement with his ridicule and lies, coming into agreement with fear, coming, you know, some people, I had one person once say, Brad, I don't, the reason I don't really want to step out and really give everything for God is because of the man, because of the attacks I'll get, the warfare, like what will happen? And I was like, man, if that's where you stay, you're already imprisoned, You're already trapped. It's getting out, stepping out. Yes, there will be, but wouldn't you rather live your life not trapped, not sitting on the lounge, just watching Netflix for the rest of the years until God calls me home and say, whew, I made it through, God. Yeah, that was awesome. Wouldn't you rather do something for the kingdom? Wouldn't you rather be a builder? Wouldn't you rather leave a legacy and a testimony of something that only God could do through us, that he fought for us, that Kalamunda became the church that impacted this city like never before for the gospel because God fought for us? And I want to live that life. So let me ask you, what has God called you to build? And what is God calling you to battle? That's really the, the crux of this sermon for your life. What is God calling you to build? And what, where and what is God calling you to battle? And as we move forward, we need builders, yeah? We need builders. We, I, I see a, I have a heart that we would see Connect Group leaders rise up and our vision to be more than a Sunday, and have healthy connect group leaders and connect groups growing in the life of the church and community growing in the life of the church would just be that's a place to build. And we need builders for that. We need people that will say, oh, I'm going to put my hand to the plow. What are you called to? Because if you rise up and say, Yes, as the team come back up, and you can, we'll have a last song in a second. As the team come back up, as you do, the enemy will do a few things, and these are the things he'll try and bring distraction. He loves to distract. He'll try and bring discouragement, which we've talked about. And by the way, as we go on this journey together as a church, there will be distractions, there will be conflicts, there will be discouragements. I think Caden, our intern, was doing a case study thing and he did an interview for me and he said, one of the interview questions was, how do you in leadership face conflict? And I said, "Number no, the first thing, expect it. Don't ever let it surprise you in a church. We're people. (laughs) We're people. And so it's going to be ups. There's going to be downs. And as one of the leaders here, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with an imperfect church just trying to build God's kingdom at our best for his glory. Yeah, As we go on that journey together, there's going to be also a thing called division. Division. And when you think about the word die too, how do you kill one vision? Just get another one. Two visions, die, vision. That's how you get people going in different directions. And they will come at times in different areas, and maybe they come in their lives. But our key is to, to come to God like Nehemiah, to pray and to seek God and to get back on track and return to the building. Maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I am not, I need to return to my place in the building. I don't know what that looks like for you. You might be far away from God, you might not be walking with God, and it might be time to come back to Him and say, God. I need to let you build my life afresh. I need to come back to you. i finished finish with this last one that I don't think is even on the slide, but that's okay. I might as well finish the last three verses of the chapter and I'll pray. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars come out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon even when he went for water. As I close, that's a picture of a, of a church just alert, on, on alert. And I want to pray for us this morning, a corporate prayer of protection around the building. And I want to pray for us a spirit of unity against the spirit of Sam Ballets, the spirit of Tobias. Would you stand with me? If you're comfortable to close your eyes and stand with me, and I want to pray a blessing over us together. Father God, I just want to thank you so much for this morning, for your word that is living and active. Lord, and as we stand together in this room, we stand with so many differences, all different people, different places, different backgrounds, different callings and different burdens on their life. But Father, we come together... And Father, I just pray for that spirit of breakthrough to bring unity. Lord, that in the ups and downs of our seasons, when the sand ballots come against us as a church, Father, like Nehemiah, we would firstly look to you in prayer. Father, that even tonight at the worship night, will be us just posturing our hearts to you in prayer, saying, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Not Brad's, not about me, it's about you. So I pray over every person, every family, every marriage, every child, young, every person, no matter how old you are today, that you would be blessed this morning. I speak a blessing over you of knowing you are called to build and to battle for God, but you are called that He will fight for you, that He is the strength of your life. Lord, for us as a church, I pray protection around the vision that you've got for us going forward. Lord, that we would impact the city with the gospel. Father, that the, Father God, that the the spiritually dead would rise. Lord, that the lame would be healed. Lord, that people would be risen up into their callings to you. That the harvest that is plentiful, Lord, would be reaped for your glory. So, Lord, as a church, we just position ourselves before you to say we love you. And I just speak a blessing over every person. If you're here this morning, you don't know the Lord, you don't know Jesus, I'd invite you to come down the front and I'd love to pray with you just privately and lead you in a prayer of receiving Jesus, if that's you. For others that just would like to come and receive prayer this morning, leaders or prayer team, if you just come to the front after Marion dismisses us for morning tea, that'll be good. God bless you.